What's up, guys? We're going to choose a podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter, and we are back joined by the great Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan, how you doing? I am great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, so the Rockets are pretty much finished with the preseason. They got one more matchup with the Spurs, and then they're done. Uh, I'm not going to travel for that game, but I'll be back during the regular season. On that subject, Jonathan, what are you looking for from the Rockets this season? Like, What at the end of the year can Houston look back at and say, that's a successful season? Well, at the end of the year, I, I think you look and say, wow, these young guys really progressed. That, that would make it successful. Uh, that they know how to handle some of the defenses that get thrown at them, or at least what they want to do against those defenses. Uh, they, they've gotten better. They, they understand the game more. If, they, if you could say all of that, if you could say, wow, all four are going to be players, of, I'm talking, of course, of, of the rookie first-round picks. Um, yeah, so that you got to be real happy with that. If you can say the Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. backcourt, that's your backcourt of the future. That they're going to be. You can have that as the backcourt of a contender. If they can say that at the end of the year, then they're thrilled. The record, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're not. If they wanted a better record, you play more veterans. They would be foolish, and they won't worry about the record if it means playing veterans and sitting kids too much or for too long into the season. It's the progress those guys make that is how you judge this season. Yeah, I would agree. It's all about the young guys this year. That's all anyone's going to be focused on uh, locally and nationally. Um, let's touch on the Sekou Dimbabwe news from last week really quick because I thought it was pretty clever from Houston's front office. So everybody knew they still had a trade exception left over from the Harden trade. And I think most people kind of assumed it wouldn't be used. But the Rockets used it to facilitate this contract dump uh, that ended up saving the Nets millions of dollars in luxury tax. And basically, they took on Sekou's contract. They waived him. And for their troubles, they got an unprotected second-round pick from the Nets in 2024. They essentially paid $3.7 million for a second-round pick. Um, and I guess good on Houston for conjuring this up and then actually forking over the money to do it. I thought it was a pretty clever deal. What did you think of the move? Um, well, I agree. Clever is a good way to look at it. Not that it's unique. that It's happened before. but it, And it really said... They don't want to spend luxury tax. There's reasons you avoid being a luxury tax team, as we will maybe see. Like if you make up trades now, and the trade you make up is with a luxury tax team, you see the ways it can hinder you in making deals, but they are willing to spend. So, all right, let's, it's an exorbitant price to pay for a Nets second-round pick. Now, maybe by then something happens and it's better than we would now expect it to be as with other Nets picks, but $3.7 million for what could be a late second-round pick, that's pretty expensive. That's, and as far as my expectations and thinking went, I thought maybe wait a little longer and hold on to that hardened trade exception. Yeah, They had until January 13th to, to spend it, and a lot of trade exceptions never get used. So we'll never know if it, anything could have come up because there's a very good chance nothing would have come up. That's usually, yeah, I'd say usually what happens. 
So you can't fault them for using it and spending what it took. Uh, but that's what I thought. I thought, nah, you know what? Hey, just hang on to that. There might be some trade they do, and it's not ideal. It's not what the other team would do, but we'll do a, a, another trade along with it using your trade exception, and that will entice the other team to make that larger trade also. So I thought they'd hold on to it longer than they did, but you know, good on them. They spent a lot of money just to get one more asset. I kind of want to stay on this topic of trades real quick and talk about John Wall and Eric Gordon. Let's start with John Wall. I'll say this. It's commendable that Wall is being so amicable about sitting out, but I also think there's a legit possibility that Porter was going to be a starter no matter what this season. So it made Wall's decision a little easier. But nonetheless, he hasn't made it awkward. He's still with the team, even though he doesn't have to be. And all that should be lauded. Um, I also think that Wall is a starting caliber point guard in the NBA and simultaneously the worst contract in basketball. He's just making $20 million a year too much annually. Um, and those kinds of contracts are really tough for a team to stomach because it makes it difficult to make additional moves. What's John Wall's market look like right now? Well, right now it doesn't look very good for the reasons you said. And I agree with every, every way you frame that. Um, absolutely. But it, it, right now it's not that good because of several things. To, to get up to $43 million, or if you're dealing with a uh, non-tax team, not a team that's not restricted, let's say 35, have to come back. You're still talking about guys who are accomplished enough that they're making that kind of money, even if it's two of them, even if it's you know two and then a little more to get the number there. They're accomplished players, a team good enough to think, okay, John Wall, we'll just go ahead and pay him $43 million this year, 47 next. Uh, a team good enough to do that, we're not giving away their accomplished players. That's why they're good enough. So you can't even make one up too easily. But if a team takes an injury at a backcourt spot, even if it's a, a bench spot but significant role, and they're that good that, hey, we're championship goal team, a legitimate championship contending team. Hey, it's the price of doing business. And if you're sending back that much money, it's not like John Wall's contract is a reason not to do it. You're, you're getting off other contracts. And if you do it at the trade deadline, or even if it's January, well, the Rockets have already paid $20 million of it. So it's not as much. And for the Rockets' side... If you get one guy you really like and want to keep and build with, and then you get one guy who's just got an exorbitant contract you have to eat, it's worth doing just for that. You, you do something like that. Now, if you have to load up a bunch of your assets to get someone to take him, no, nah, it's not worth doing that. I mean, they're, they're trying to do a solid for John Wall, but not that good. So uh, that you put all that together... And it's really hard to even make up a deal that makes sense for both teams. But I, the other thing is, I do agree with you that, okay, he's not a $43 million player, but he can really help good teams. And the conversation about him doesn't match with what we saw last year, which was physically, he looks really good. If you ask him to dominate, as he tried to do down the stretch of some games, well, that might not work out so well, especially the first year back after missing most of two with injuries. 
He's not ready to just take over and dominate a game last year. But the kind of teams that are going to trade for him aren't going to ask that. He can really help somebody, and I think that's the impression that's around the league, even if it's not what we hear in the reporting about this. Yeah, um, listen, I, I asked Rafael Stone about, about this at Media Day, and they're headstrong about not wanting a buyout. But I just don't know who trades for him other than a team that gets really desperate, like maybe the Clippers or the Mavericks or some team that that believes, you know, they're right there. Or they just need, you know, someone to put them over the top. It's going to be tough. I, I think it's, this ends in a February buyout, to be honest. Am I crazy in thinking that that's where this is headed? Well, I think there's a you know, pretty good likelihood. Uh, you know, I'm not sure of the timetable. Does it happen if it happens at the trade deadline or, you know, just after the trade deadline, or is it more of an off season thing and just let them go start fresh next year? That that's a harder one to forecast. Yeah. And, and, you know, how do you forecast an injury? You know, some team picks up an injury like, Oh my gosh, they're so good, but they have a glaring hole now. Well, I can't predict who might get hurt, and, but that might have to be part of the equation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, Kyle Lowry goes down, that changes the Heat's entire equation, right? Like stuff like stuff like that is stuff that is really tough to forecast. And Kemba Walker, right. you know, just I don't mean to jinx anybody or anything like that, but teams that don't have that backup guy. Hey, here's the other one. Philadelphia is trying to, you know, break the bank on their you know, what they're expecting for Ben Simmons. They they want to get a tremendous haul. They want to win the the press conference, win the trade, all that. Right now, if it doesn't work out with Simmons, if he plays badly or if he doesn't play at all, they don't really have a real point guard. If they were to trade Wall for Simmons, Simmons comes here or if he's elsewhere, but that's who goes out from Philly, it's not a great trade for Philly, but the team is better. A really good team gets better. So if the Simmons thing drags on and on and on, that's the kind of thing that we can't forecast now, but it's certainly worth watching that they don't have a point guard if, if Simmons isn't it. Yeah, this is why I love having you on the podcast, Jonathan, because I actually had Ben Simmons in my rundown. I wanted to talk about him. Um, and I know this is a Rockets prod- podcast, and I promise you it'll make sense in a second, but I've been looking at the, this list of teams that could be interested in Simmons, right? Like the Blazers, the Kings, the Spurs, and I don't see the Rockets come up much. And I'm just wondering why that is. Like, okay, it's pretty clear that Simmons isn't a franchise-level talent, but he's still a star, and stars are really difficult to come by. You know this better than anybody, but the Rockets chased several different stars before finally landing James Harden. It's not easy. You have to put your hat in the ring several times before you get lucky. And that's why I love that Houston pursued Dame this summer even if they think the odds are low or the price is too high you still have to play the game so my question to you Jonathan is why aren't they playing this game or am I wrong and they've sniffed around already and they're uncomfortable with the asking price or something like that Uh, yeah I mean in reverse order yeah the asking price is exorbitant they want many picks and the Rockets don't want to include their picks and so Okay, we'll just wait. Let's, let's just wait it out until the price comes down. No one knows better than Rafael. That's how Daryl negotiates. He he starts off demanding a lot, and then he works back to something that can happen. So, and, and really, no one knows that better than Rafael. On top of that, Rafael knows what Daryl really likes on the Rockets roster, 
And Daryl knows what Rafael thinks of everybody on the Sixers roster. They still have that. And they talk. So if they talk, it doesn't have to be about Simmons or it doesn't have to be about a trade because they're people that talk with one another. And so they can just lay low. And when you're ready to really deal, then we can talk again because they have that kind of relationship. Uh, as far as Simmons and the Rockets, and here's one more thing about Rafael. They're real happy with the start of the rebuilding. Okay, there's some prospects here. There's reason for hope, stuff to develop. They don't think, okay, it's all going to work. We're going to be awesome. Every single guy is going to be the best he could possibly be imagined to be. You can't think like that. They still have to take, as, as you were describing, they've got to take some chances. They've got to reach out and, and try things. That doesn't mean give up your whole future with a whole bunch of draft picks. And they're not that kind of roster right now. They're not in that stage of rebuilding that you would do that. But they know they got they can't just be cautious either and just assume everything's going to go great. So and I wrote this about three weeks ago, I think. When it comes to Simmons, how does he fit with the Rockets? Well, if you can put him in a front court, you know, the two positions are kind of undefined these days. If he's in the front court, now you've got a guy who can be in the lane because there is no post-up player with the Rockets, which is a bit of an issue with the Sixers. And he can finish. Ben Simmons can definitely finish. You've got a guy who can rebound and take off, which they absolutely want to do. You probably still have an elite defensive player. You don't know because he hasn't been asked to be on big men all game long. He's been on perimeter guys where he truly is elite. He's probably still elite regardless. And you can switch like crazy. And he can be an outlet if you're starting to double to where you do the Draymond Green stuff. And he can take a lot of pressure off Jalen Green. If he's willing to play in that sort of role rather than I'm the point guard, I run the offense. If he's willing to do that, hey, it could really work. It would have a chance to really work. On top of that, Rafael and Rich Paul get along real well. Rafael will know how Simmons feels if the Sixers are amenable to that. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons to think, hey, it makes some sense. It just isn't now even something that you can imagine or think about because what Daryl's looking for is a non-starter with the Rockets. Yeah, and even if you don't think he's like a good enough like big man defender he's such a fantastic help defender that it may just make sense to play him at that like power forward position right like he can do so much there uh, and he has so many years remaining on his contract and he's young enough to where it's not crazy to envision him growing with this core right like if he's if, what in three years he's going to be 29 Jalen Green's going to be what 22 that's not it's not too drastic of an age difference I think I think that's the kind of that's the kind of player that would make sense you know you just have to I just think you have to throw your hat in the ring. Um, well, yeah, the only thing is there's enough ifs there. Right. Okay, maybe he doesn't work out there. Maybe he's not willing or wanting or long range when things are rough and during the growth period, he wants to be the point guard again and isn't happy with it. You, there's a, a lot of question marks to where you don't just go, okay, whatever it takes, we got to get him. You know, no, you don't do that. By the way, in three years, he's 28, not 29, so he's even younger, which is ridiculous that he's been around as long as he is. And he just turned 25 in July. 
Uh, he is a young guy, but uh, it, you could see it working, but you can't be so certain about it that you'll just, whatever it costs, will we'll do. You can't be that. Sure, I agree. Um, now talk about Eric Gordon's market. I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish on Gordon as a player. I think he's still one of the best, best role players in the NBA. Uh, I think he was super important to those Rockets teams that really pushed the Warriors in back-to-back seasons. He's a good shooter, strong driver, good one-on-one defender when he's locked in. Uh, I said this on another podcast, and the host looked at me like I was crazy. I don't think his contract is that bad. Like, if anything, it's fair market value or slightly above that. I think, like, if he was making $15 million a year or, like, 16 or whatever, like, how would people view him differently, right? That's only a few million dollars off. And I think Houston can fetch a first-round pick for him at the deadline. I really do. And I think he'll have his fair share of suitors calling to ask about him. What's your take on that? I think that's all true, assuming he's healthy and plays from now till then. Because it's not a bad contract. I don't think people have gotten used to the idea $18 million isn't bad. Or I think that's the number he's up to. Or maybe this year's the 20. Uh, but it, oh, you'll hear that and you go, whoa, that's a lot of money. But no, because he does so, assuming he has his shot back. And I think people do assume that because it's such a solid shot that, okay, it might have been a little bit of uh, fraudulent the way he has struggled. And you're going to struggle more if you can't stay on the court. But if he gets his shot back, he does so many things well. And last year, he was driving so well and finishing well. Defensively, he's good on perimeter guys. He's good on the the best of the guards. But he plays big except for rebounding. He doesn't – it was one of the problems with the Rockets' small ball era that, yeah, they do have guys who defend as if – they're bigger than they are, but not necessarily rebound. But And he doesn't. He rebounds like a guard, but he defends like a big guy, you know, a much bigger guy than he is. He, he can take on bigger guys. And so that's a lot of things he does well. I think that's more known around the league, but has to play. You know, he's not going to be a guy they say, okay, the Rockets are just holding him out until the trade if he doesn't play, it's going to be, okay, we trade for him. Will he play for us? At Vanguard, we know that this is more than just a retirement plan. This is your cappuccino date in Italy, the beach house with the matching bicycles. It's your rental car down memory lane and weekends reuniting with friends from over the years. This is the future you imagined, and we're here to help you build it. Because at Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. Fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Let's talk about Jalen Green because he's obviously going to have more eyeballs on him this season than anyone on the team. And by the way, I don't need to caveat everything I'm about to say with it's the preseason. Obviously, you guys know it's the preseason. We don't need to keep on saying that. Uh, But Green hasn't performed well. And that last game, there were moments where he was on the floor and I kind of forgot he was out there. Like It's not just the seven turnovers. He only took six shots. And it's just one game. And of course, it's it's a preseason game. Uh, but this is a guy who's gonna who said on multiple occasions that he wants to win Rookie of the Year and that he wants to be a franchise player. If I'm Steven Silas, I'm I'm telling him like, listen, I don't care how many turnovers you have or how poor you're shooting that night. Uh, there can't be a game where you're not taking at least double digit field goal attempts. Like again, this isn't an indictment. This is hardly a criticism. He's 19 years old. 
I still think he's going to be an all-star in this league. Uh, but this is the first time I've watched him. I'm like, yeah, he's clearly 19 years old. Uh, like he's n- not been good on defense. He's shooting the ball inefficiently and he's turning the ball over. Those are things that rookie guards do and there's no escaping it. Uh, as polished as he is as a prospect, he, it's clear that he's going to have his fair share of growing pains this season. What have you thought about how he's looked in the preseason? Well, he, he is going to have wild ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, you know, he see he's not just seeing everything for the first time. And the last two teams are, are really good team defense teams. You know, they, they weren't like a game plan to stop him. They did what they do. And they, they're one of those teams like, I don't know if they people still say this, but we used to always say defense on a string. And they are the epitome of that, Toronto and Miami. And physical, too. And, and hard playing. Um, and that's without Siakam playing. And so it, these are things he's seen for the first time, as opposed to, let's say, Detroit in the summer league, where they rushed double teams at him. They, they didn't want him to just dominate Kate Cunningham. So they double teamed the ball out of his hands. Well, he read it and handled it. No problem. He knew. This was stuff he hadn't seen at this level before. But it's not just that. It's not just him seeing things for the first time. He's coming into a team, or at least a, a starting lineup, where they're all figuring out where to be, how to react. If he was coming into the heat, you know, say Tyler Hero in the bubble year, well, now everybody else is executing just right. It's a whole lot easier. So when, say, Toronto is loaded up on the strong side, is they got like three, he comes off a screen, there's three guys there. Well, he, if everyone else on the Rockets were, was in the right position and spaced the floor on the weak side and didn't sort of pinch in like youth soccer teams, then things would have been a lot easier for Jalen as he's seeing something for the first time. And so it's both things. It's not just him. It's this team learning how to play the system with one another. And they will. It's just going to take times, and there's going to be some real duds in there where, yeah, they hadn't seen that before. They're going to need video time, practice time, more practice time, and then they'll deal with it. This That's what they're doing here. They they needed the, the video today, the practice today and tomorrow to have a better chance to deal with it. For big picture, though, I will say, defensively, they did things. They showed an ability to learn that, they were much better defensively in Toronto. It didn't show because of the ridiculous turnovers, but it, it, it looked like, wow, they did these things in practice and then they brought it into the game when they weren't just hurting themselves. If they can do that offensively, you'll see that in a lot of ways, but one of which will be Jalen Green's opportunities. And the coaching staff has a pretty healthy attitude about this, right? Like they, they seem to like view all of this as teaching moments. Even going into the season, they they viewed the preseason as one large teaching moment, and like how and how to be a pro, how to get your routines in order before games, like what time to get there, what time to shoot around, what time to stretch, all that stuff. Uh, you know, they they're viewing all this stuff as as you know teaching moments and I think I think that's a healthy attitude even though some of these moments are going to just 
they're not going to be taught. You know, it's going to take experience. It's going to take seeing it uh, over and over and over again to get adjusted to it. Uh, but the, but they're approaching it with the right mentality. We're like, we can try and do our best to teach this as, as best as we can, right? We can we can try and get these guys to communicate more on defense than they're accustomed to. We can get these, like Daniel Tice was talking about this um, last week where he was talking about how, um, listen, a scheme might say to do this, but they might be doing this. So we might have to adjust on the fly. And even though you're calling out this, I'm calling out this as somebody who's stepping up on the screen. So you have to change. So stuff like that is, is stuff that the rookies and the young players are going to have to learn on the fly. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's going to do, it's going to take some growing pains all year. Yeah. Not just preseason. It's going to be all year. Right. And you're right. Coaching staff understands this. Rafael really understands this. But just as we don't know how these guys will react in, to, a, a, say, a losing streak or a really rough road trip until there is one, there will be times where Steven Sotts gets frustrated by it and then he has to remind himself, okay, you know, it's not just about I got to get a win tonight. I got to still – he'll be reminding himself of that many times because he's a real competitive guy. And that, that's going to be pro- – I've thought to myself – as I do the storytelling throughout the year, and I write pretty much every day, you know, there'll be some help along the way, but there's just something to read in the Chronicle every day. As I'm doing the start, how do I avoid being too repetitive just with the, another learning lesson? And they're trying to learn from this. You can't, you, you try to have a story not be the same all the time. And there's a real chance that's the same story in February as it is now. It's, they're getting ready to start the year. Yep. So moving on to another young player, uh, Alperin Shangun. So I think people are starting to see why so many people, including myself, fell in love with this dude before the draft. Like, uh, by all accounts, he had a killer training camp and it crescendoed at this last scrimmage where he just went off. And everyone coming out of that scrimmage just had this look of, like, bewilderment. Like, what the f*** was that? Like, who the f*** is this guy? <laughs> like... I wrote a lot about Jalen Green over the summer and how going forward, the Rockets need to surround him with as many strong playmakers as they can. And I think most people read that and naturally thought, oh, he's talking about a point guard. And in fact, the example I used was like the Suns putting Chris Paul next to Devin Booker. But playmakers come in all shapes and sizes. And if Sangoon can max out all his potential in all these other areas. He is a special, special passer. Like the preseason is enough evidence for me that he's clearly the best passer on this team. And it's not even close. Like, like someone like Kevin Porter Jr. might average more assists per game than him, but Shangun's just a better passer. He's more instinctual with the stuff. He's just, it just comes naturally for him. He's just a gifted, gifted passer. I'm still dumbfounded that the, the Thunder decided to trade him. What do you make of what I said there and kind of Sengun's own place on this team long term? Well, I think he has terrific potential as a passer. I'm not sure I'm quite putting him in the Hall of Fame yet. I didn't um, say that. <laughs> You're pretty excited there. Uh, but, uh, you know, even the Jokic comparisons, you know, who might be the best passing center ever? You know, and there's, we, we keep hearing that. You know, kind of like a Jokic, but not as big. Well, you know, uh, Jokic might be. I mean, Bill Walton, uh, certainly when you throw in outlet passes, Wes Unseld. But Jokic could be the best passing center ever, and we're hearing those comparisons. So I, I, I would tap the brakes a little, but 
he does do his things looking over the defense and looking for his guys head up all the time. Uh, and you do see the Rockets running things through him at the elbow, through Tice at the elbow more than they did last year uh, at any point. And I think that will be more and more. Uh, really, I, I, I think he's defended better than I expected. Yeah. Even uh, Silas you know, talked I, about that. Yeah. I thought that was very frank of him to sort of say, yeah, I didn't expect much. And we'll see. Maybe there'll be more. There's just not a whole lot of, of post-up guys, even fewer off the bench to where you're going to post up, post up and go or ISO with a big man. There's not a lot of those, especially in second units right now. So maybe, oh, if that was a shortcoming, it won't come up because it hasn't that much in the preseason. I thought he's done some good, th- except he's had some bad foul issues. Yeah. Uh, you're like, man, you really didn't need to do that foul. He's going to, that's one of his things that he's going to have to adjust and learn from. Um, but no, there's a lot of potential. It's real easy to see. Uh, I think he's exciting for fans to because the whole thing about this year is you, you want to look and say, "Oh, I have like a great." The Rocket teams of the past, the hope was this is a championship team. They could win a championship. Certainly, the '65 win year, fans could think win a championship. Well, you can't think that when you're watching this team, but you could look at him doing the kinds of things we're talking about or Jalen Green's abilities or Kevin Porter Jr.'s abilities and say and sort of imagine it and have that hope. And I think Shingun is one of those. He gives you that when he does certain things where you can try and forecast it and be happy with the possibilities. You know, the line I always say is hope is oxygen in sports. It's everything. It's why signing day in college sports, draft day in pro sports – is so big. It's all about hope. You get, you can see it. You don't have to imagine it. You don't have to be a professional scout to see the reasons to be hopeful for what Shangun can become, and obviously Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, what they can become, uh, and and maybe Garuba as well. It, it, and that's the fun of this year. Yeah, and I just thought some of the comparisons, like I thought the Enos Cantor comparison for Shingun was pretty lazy. Like, okay, he's a post-up big from Turkey who's bad at defense, so he's Enos Cantor. Like, no, come on. Like, we we have to be smarter about this. You have to watch the film on this guy to understand. Well, the offensive route, they, they both have a knack offensive rebounding. Sure. And they're very good at tapping to themselves on rebounds. So yeah, there's a few things that are more on the court than just they can borrow each other's clothes and have them fit and discuss it in Turkish. Um, but there's some real differences too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm surprised he doesn't turn the ball over more. Like it's not just the passing. It's like, he'll do like a, a helter skelter, like spin move in the paint, which is like really risky. And like, he'll like, um, he'll end it with either a, a layup at the basket or f- a drawn foul or like a pass. And like, those are like turnovers for like a, a lot of other bigs in the NBA. Um, but I'm getting off track. So more than any of Houston's rookies, I've been most impressed by Josh Christopher since he was drafted. And that's dating back to summer league. Uh, this was a guy I thought was going to be in the second round. And as of right now, he looks like he was drafted in the right spot. Like he killed it in the summer league. Uh, he's only getting like 10 to 15 minutes a game during the preseason and he's managing to make an impact there. Like he's just a competitor. Uh, he competes on the defensive end. He has this leadership quality about him on the offensive end and he's just going to be a joy 
he's just like a joy to watch an interview, right? Like one of the best interviews on the team, and the team has a this team has a lot of great interviews uh, this season. My suspicion going into the year was that he was going to be a G League guy, and maybe if somebody gets hurt or they trade someone like Eric Gordon, room would open up for him to make the main roster. Um, do you get the sense that anything has changed, or is he still going to end up with the Vipers this year? Well, the the G League season starts so late that it, it's hard to say. But I I also thought, yeah, he's going to spend a lot of time there because he's got just too much ability and potential to be just sitting on the bench night after night here, or, or playing a few minutes in you know late second quarter here. You know, there's too much good there to have it spend the year doing that. You know, has he done enough in the preseason when he's playing, you know, bench clearing time, which you never judge anything by that, Never, you know, good or bad, really, unless there's not an effort, then you can judge. If a guy doesn't play hard, even in garbage time, that you may be able to judge. But other than that, you never judge from that those times. But has he done enough to say, let's take a look at, of him against others, against the rotation guys, which he's not playing against rotation guys yet. But there's a chance he can defend at a pretty good level for a rookie right away. Now, offensively, you know, in the open court, he's got a real chance. I think offensively he, he's got some work to do. But – you really can't know until he's playing with the Rockets' rotation guys and against other teams' rotation players. Uh, and then the bigger question becomes, if you think, hey, he's got it. He's got so much good for going for him, but it needs to be developed. It needs time. Well, if you're sitting John Wall so that you can make sure that Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green get 30, 32 minutes a game, do you sit Eric Gordon for the same reason so that Josh Christopher gets time? I mean, they're not going to. That's not the plan at all. But doesn't the logic kind of follow? Yeah. If they think he's ready to take on that kind of minutes and grow from it. Yeah, I think they want to showcase Gordon a little bit, right? And, you know, get his trade value up to where they can eventually open up room for Christopher, you know, naturally via trade that 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 would be my expectation but i get what you're saying in that yeah you, you know if you're going to sit one of your veterans here why not sit one of your veterans there and just naturally open up more minutes uh to start the season but i think gordon wants to play man i think gordon is someone who uh his role in the team is not in any real danger he's going to play a lot of minutes for them uh and he's right. he's uh he's he's a team player he's he doesn't mind uh, being here for the moment. Absolutely. And, you know, I throw that out there because there's a logic that follows, but, it, you know, it makes sense to, it would have made sense to play John Wall as well. You know, now they were willing to say, uh, nah, we want to start the development now. We don't want to wait four months. Okay, do you do that in two spots? Uh, and that seems a little excessive. So, and what's the rush? It's not like Josh Christopher is a Chris Duarte, you know, where, okay, a 23 year old rookie, uh, let's not make him wait and wait till he's a 24 year old end of rookie year or start of second year guy. Uh, no, nah, he's 19. You know, he's going to play eventually and probably will be sometime this year. And he'll still be 19. <laughs> and so what's the rush? 
Right. Um, has anything else stood out to you from the preseason? Like, has anything else grabbed your attention that you didn't expect or anything that you're watching for in with this last game in San Antonio? Well, two different things. Not a lot has jumped out at me. And some of the things I would have liked to have seen more is how the different options in the starting lineup worked. But you couldn't see it because Eric Gordon missed two games. Daniel House missed one game. Uh, Jay Sean Tate came off the bench in the first game and didn't play a ton of minutes. That's the thing I'm curious about if Gordon plays in San Antonio is how do the different combinations work? You can make a good case for why he should start. You can make a good case for why he should come off the bench and Jay Sean Tate should start. If Daniel House, you know, he had – pretty bad one game um, when he started. But you can argue that there's something to be said for that because they need to run the floor, and he really does run the floor well. And so you can start him and then still play Tate and Gordon quite a bit with that second unit and with some of the starters and finish with either or both on the floor to finish games, even if they come off the bench. So you can make a case for all three of them. I'd like to see how that plays out in San Antonio, which combinations sort of fit. You know, the, the argument for Eric, the idea that let Eric pick up Damian Lillard, you know, let him be on, on Booker so that the, the kids don't need to be. That, that's a pretty good case for that. Jay Sean does so many things well and so it gives you so many valuable hustle plays and can defend well. And we'd like, you know, in his second year, let's see how he can defend against the really good perimeter players. You can make that argument, especially if his shot is better than it was last year. And then Daniel House, for the reasons I said, that, you know, even though he's 0 for 7 in his one start. He's probably a pretty good three-point shooter. He generally has been. He gives you spacing you desperately need in that starting lineup and runs the floor so well. And he gives you a little more rebounding than Eric, as does Jayshon, though not as much as I always thought. That's another thing I would have liked to have seen more. Does he hit the boards better than he has? He's always looked like he has the potential to be a more productive rebounder. The Rockets could use that out of him. Yeah, if I were a betting man, I, I say this comes down to Eric Gordon or Jay Sean Tate. I'd probably lean Tate because I think, you know, he's just a better help defender than Gordon. Like Gordon's, I think, probably one of the best one on one defenders on the team, if not the best one on one defender on the team. But as a help defender, like this, this rotation, this starting lineup is going to need a lot of help. I mean, they they're starting a, a backcourt that you know has had their foibles defensively. Uh, Christian Wood still coming on defensively. I think Jay Sean Tate just fits in more naturally there. And I think he, he probably is going to play the most out of those three. Well, he can play a lot because yeah. he can play multiple positions and he helps any group. You know, if the shooting's not there, then there could be some issues depending on how teams defend the Rockets and defend him. But Jay Sean Tate, you know, he helps in so many ways. And you know, he can also take a little pressure off Jalen Green because he, he can be a playmaker and he can can rebound and go. And Jalen runs the floor like a dream. And so a guy who can do that, I mean, if they anything they can do to run a lot, 
is good for Jalen Green because he's phenomenal running the floor. And so, and it, you know, getting locked up in the half court is just not good for this team. And so there's a lot of things that Jay Sean brings, but he can do it off the bench too. He's going to play a bunch of minutes either way. Right. It, it's crazy how we are like in what, like year five of Eric Gordon in Houston and we're still doing the, is he starting or is he coming off? <laughs> yeah. It's a tradition. Yep. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Jonathan, where can we read your work and follow you on social media? Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, on social media, and I have a Facebook page where all the stories actually do go. But uh, I tweet them all. I tweet a link to, to every story. Actually, it's an automated tweet, and I usually remember to do it at Jonathan underscore Fagan on Twitter. And so nothing's easier than Twitter. Uh, you can get every story that way. Or, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on now, so you might just want to go to HoustonChronicle.com, go to click on sports, because, you know, obviously exciting times for the Rockets with all these new guys, but I hear there's other things going on in Houston sports, and so you... I would recommend checking, you know, the army of people we have on the Astros and we always have on the Texans, and you, you'll get just a whole bunch of stuff. Plus, you know, we, we'll have a whole lot of Rocket stuff too. I have a story this weekend I'm looking forward to a little bit, and some of it we've touched on a, a little, where I, I think, you know, first how much of this is all about development and not just the scoreboard, but then how I, I think this organization and this fan base, they're ready for that. I think it was tough in some ways. It was rewarding to be a Rockets fan in some of these really good years. But, hey, they, they were a team of unmet expectations. The same disappointments that the organization felt, that players felt, I believe fans felt. And I think now fans are like, they're, I think they're on board with this. Yeah, they're on board right now. But in game 65 of the season, it could get pretty brutal, right? Like rebuilding teams are much more exciting to be to, to root for before the season than, they're actually, than they actually are during the season. That, that goes for players and coaching staff too. Rebuilding is hard. Like it's just hard. Like this, this, this phase of the franchise is extremely difficult and taxing on everybody in the organization. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, annoyed press conferences. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, just the, repeating what you're saying over and over again. But I, I, I do, I do think the fan base is excited so far. Yeah. I mean, though, but the Houston way is when things are like, if they don't like the way it's going, they react with apathy, which is not good. <laughs> no organization wants that. But they just go away. They go to one of the other millions of things there are to do in this town. And so uh, when you get to that game 65, I, I think people will still be understanding. Because you can, like we talked about earlier, you can see the promise these young guys have. I, I th- yeah, the, the casuals will just look at the record. But I, I think the fan base... They're going to start off on board with this, and then they'll get enough reminders of why they were on board with it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's going to be a lot to watch this year, a lot to cover. Be sure to follow Jonathan on Twitter and uh, with the Houston Chronicle to read all his coverage on the team. Uh, Follow this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars on iTunes because it helps people find the show. Uh, And yeah, guys, I'll talk to you guys down the line. I'll talk to you later, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. For sure.